I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 52. Uh, in theory, I should have gotten here a year and a half ago, but uh, I'm very undisciplined. So um, <coughs> so thanks, everybody, for uh, sticking with us. Um, hopefully, everybody had a good holiday. And let's see, what was... The, yeah, the last episode was, I guess, right before Christmas. So hopefully, everybody had a good Christmas and New Year's. Uh, my co-host, Josh, is here. Josh. Hello, you yeah. said you said that as that you were like Josh, how's it going? Like you were going to say something else, and I was expecting that. So sorry, sorry. I am here though, here and ready. I also wish everyone uh, had a hope, a happy holiday season, and a hopeful holiday, season. and a hopeful holiday season. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think we have any. Uh, I don't think we really have any like announcements, except uh, I'll 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 say stuff that I. That I never say, like, there is a Facebook group. Uh, I maintain it, but I never mention it. Oh. Uh, there's a Facebook group for more than one lesson. Well, that would be a good thing to mention. Indeed. Uh, you can, unfortunately, unlike a fan page, it's not just facebook.com slash more than one lesson. It isn't that. It's some series of exclamation points, numbers, and letters. Uh, so, if you, so you can either just search for more than one lesson or you can go to morethanonelesson.com, click on the Facebook link, and that'll take you there, and you can uh, join the group. That and you can good. get updates uh, about like blog posts, uh, sermon recommendations, and episodes. There you go. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash morelessons. You can follow Josh on Twitter, twitter.com slash... The Josh Long. The Josh Long. Or The Josh Long, right. if you want. That's just with one E, though. Right. I, this is one of those things that I, I was like, oh, it's a good idea when I when I did it. And then I've had to explain this to so many people so many times. Like, if you say The Josh Long, they're like, is it T-H-E-E? And I'm like, no, right. it's just, it's The. And they're like, it's what? It's a? Uh? It, like, rhymes with too many things or... When I was going to uh, do my Twitter account, <coughs> I was going to have it just be more than one lesson. But they did not allow that many characters, and so it it was two letters shy. So it wound up being more than one less. And I was like, <laughs> no. I, that's some kind of weird... I don't know what that equation means. Um, <laughs> that's, like, that's like the... Uh, that's the phrase equivalent of a Mobius strip. <laughs> and so, uh, so I just went with more lessons. And then like a year later, I think it was David from uh, my other podcast who said, he's like, you know, you could have just had the number one. And then that would have shaved off two letters and then you could have had the whole thing. And I was like, you know, that did not occur to me. I'm pretty confident it never would have occurred to me. <laughs> 
So um, you were so, like, "What yeah. are you like, some kind of web guru?" <laughs> right? Can you fix my printer? <laughs> the printers have nothing to do with the web, strictly speaking. Well, they're all connected with those wires or wireless wires or all that. So I don't. I I let the nerds deal with it. I can't quite figure out who this character is. Yeah, it's because I was. I was. It seemed like I might have gone with I let the young people take care of it, but then I right. said nerds. Then kind of an angry jock. Yeah, it's like a who seven- still needs printers and understands terms like wireless. Right. It's it's like a seventy year old jock. Yeah. Who's just like a jack savvy enough to know that wireless exists? Exactly. Um, he knows the terms. He just doesn't know what to do with them. It's like like Lee Majors, maybe. <laughs> this I, is, that I could see this, very much so. Lee Majors needs to get in touch with David to get his printer or printers fixed. And he knows technology because he was like you know a six million dollar man, right? But he just doesn't know what yeah, to do with it anymore. Doesn't want to have to. It's someone. It's the so, nerd's job. And just like it's like uh, Mr. Majors, this printer is broken. It's like you can rebuild it. You have the technology. <laughs> That is a uh, terrible joke. I'm sorry. I wonder everybody. what the crossover is between fans of this podcast <laughs> and fans of the Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, probably. <laughs> are you talking about just the hosts? Because I, even amongst the hosts, it's nothing. I know, and I think even if our wives were in the room, they would be like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, or well, I mean, they probably wouldn't say anything. They would just be looking inside themselves, saying, "What have we done?" Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, for updates, and I would appreciate that. You can also go to iTunes. We've been hanging at 35 reviews, mostly positive. There was one guy who I, I still to this day don't totally know what his quibble is, mm-hmm. um, but he is not a fan of the show. I, I know that. Well, um, <clears throat> can't please all the people all the time. And you know what? This is one of those rare occurrences where I'm not saying this just to make myself feel better. Reading what he said is just like, I don't think I want to make this guy. I don't want to please this guy. We're just, we're not for him. Not for him. I don't know what is for him. Um, I'm sure there's something out there. There's got to be something. Internet's full of things. It's got, there's like 17 things on the internet, really. 17 things. Everything else is just a, is a sub thing. Oh. But, uh, but anyway, so yes, if, if, uh, if you enjoy the show, uh, Head on down to uh, iTunes and write a uh, positive review. Mosey on down. Yeah. No ru- no rush. I'm not you in got any nothing rush. But time. Exa- that's kind of true. <laughs> um, and uh, and if you are on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, uh, you know, I'm trying to we're we're trying to put out episodes more frequently and we're trying to raise our uh, listener base and you can help with that uh, if you felt like uh, tweeting or uh, Facebooking your favorite episode or something like that. Or episodes. Uh, who's to say? It's not. Look, it's not my place to tell you what to do. But yes, if you wanted to do more than one episode of more than one lesson, see, you can even make that joke that if you want. A, that would be a good reason to do exactly. that. Um, but uh, we, would, we would certainly appreciate that. So, um, okay. To business. Josh, stop screwing around. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, so today's episode, as we mentioned, is going to be about a movie that... <sighs> okay. I sometimes pick movies that nobody has seen. Mm-hmm. All right? Movies like Winnebago Man, Adam Resurrected. Uh, there's probably a few others here and there. Nobody really saw The Wolfman. We should, you should try and do some movies that have not been released to, uh, to home video. 
like to DVD or anything. Is it one of those one of those movies that like some crazy rich person in Hollywood owns, and you have to get like access to their house to see it on a weekend? We will review the day the clown cried, the mm-hmm. Jerry Lewis film that no one has ever seen. There you go. Um, we will. I'll call up Harry Shearer. That's the yeah. You guys were just talking yeah. about that on the uh, and uh, with uh, Bill Dwyer. And we'll Mike give Schreiner. that a watch. But uh, anyway, so the thing about today's movie is that it is. It was a major flop this year. So one of the big things people know about it is that nobody saw it. So why on earth would I not talk about it? <laughs> like, it just, it makes no sense. But uh, as I was talking, uh, as I was telling Josh recently, um, it was a film that when I saw it, it actually had uh, some resonance with me, even though I, it, there's, it's not a perfect film by any stretch. There's some major flaws with it. Uh, and that is... And okay, I'll I'll say this before I say the title. Well, I'll say the title. The title is called "It's the Beaver." All right. I recognize that. Yes, this is also the name for uh, you know it's for a certain body part. So I get it. I don't like that this is the title. All right. So I'm sure that when I say the Beaver, there's going to be someone being like, "Kee-hee-hee-hee." All right. And I'm sorry. But that's the title, and it's the name of a character, so I'm just going to say it, all right? Maybe, who's to say, maybe the title is one of the reasons people didn't want to see it. Now, it's probably not the big reason, but no one wants to be like, one for the beaver, please. Like, no one wants to say that in public. That sounds gross. It's a little bit of a... I, I did think it was a poor title choice. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the central thing but still right it's the central thing so i'm not even saying take the concept away yeah but if that's your concept you have to know that this is not going to be i mean maybe it's the principle that like well we need to get we know we need to capture people's attention with the title and Mm -hmm. i would say mission accomplished you know but at the same time people might think it's a very different thing i don't know um but anyway uh so the movie is the beaver it was directed by actress Jodie Foster. It was written by Kyle Killen. Um, and it stars Mel Gibson, Jodie Foster, Anton... I don't know if it's Yelkin or Yelchin. I think I've heard both. Uh, I'll say Yelchin. Uh, I'll say Yelkin. That way we're covered. Okay, all right. That way you can choose... Are you on Team Yelchin or Team Yelkin? <laughs> choose wisely. Um, and, uh, and lastly, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who was in uh, Winter's Bone, which is a wonderful film. Um, plug. Yeah, kind of. I, it's you know, it was shot around an area that I used to live. So there you uh, go. yeah, support that area by watching starring Winter's Bone, your, starring and based on all of your friends and relatives. Yeah, pretty much. There you go. Even the f- relatives that don't live there, which is very strange. Mm. So, uh, <clears throat> so I mentioned that the Beaver was not widely seen. It was considered a flop, uh, and then I said, "Well, hey, maybe it was. Maybe it was the title." We all know why it wasn't seen and that's because it was released this year and it starred mel gibson yeah that's a that's a big part of it but not and i it's possible that people are coming to this and have no idea at all what this is and have heard nothing about this movie and that's entirely possible for uh for those of you who are in that boat um there's a good chance that the other reason that people didn't see it um you know apart from the stigma that is mel gibson uh is 
the basic premise. Yeah. Which is that a man who is depressed finds a stuffed beaver and... Or, I'm sorry, sorry. A, a beaver puppet. Yes. And starts to take it everywhere with him, personifies it, and speaks through it. Yes. Um, to his friends and family as if it's a real person. Mm-hmm. So... When you hear Mel Gibson and you hear Mel Gibson starring alongside a puppet, mm-hmm. that doesn't really, that that's not the sort of thing that's going to have people fly into the movie theaters. And, and I guess this speaks to who I am. Like, I hear that premise and it's like, all right, here's the thing. That's not merely the premise for a script. That's the premise for a film that got made. So someone saw something in it. Right. And uh, you were telling me um, after we saw it that apparently the script was floating around for a a while and was kind of a hot topic. Like everyone wanted to make this script, which means that... uh, It might might not have been that everyone wanted to make it, but everyone was aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, yeah, I guess that would be a different thing. There's there's a different thing between producers who are thinking, "Ooh, are we gonna? Can we get our hands on that?" And yeah. producers thinking, "Is anybody want to get their <laughs> going to want to get their hands?" I, I don't on think that. it was considered a pariah, but I do think it was one of those things where it's just like people were aware of it and they thought, "Man, who would have the audacity to make that?" Like I don't think I don't think it was condemned, and at the time it was not attached to Jodie Foster or Mel Gibson. It was just this script that everyone seemed to be. It was hot in that in that there was word of mouth, and it wasn't. Hey, this thing is bad. It's just hey, this thing is crazy. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and uh, eventually it it was made with uh, and Jodie Foster made it, and I think she might have made it like. I don't know. I think it might have been sitting on the shelf for a while, and understandably so, because its star, Mel Gibson, was involved. You know, was involved in one type of scandal after another, mm-hmm. and so the studio thought, well, uh, maybe now's not the time to release it. Because, and and the way that you know that is when you look at uh, Jennifer Lawrence. She looks mm, a bit younger than she does in Winter's Bone. Mm. And Winter's came Bone out came out the year before this on. movie was released. So. Fairly early last year. Yeah. So, um, oh, wait, two years ago now? Because it was 2010. Yeah, I guess so. I still, I know that we're, I know that, I know that we are in 2012. Yeah. But I still, you know. It came out approximately 517 days ago. Oh, wow. That's some fast math. Well done. That's not so much math as just guessing oh okay most math is guessing anyway right i'd say so that's what all those nasa guys are doing they're just kind of like throwing some they're like rolling dice and being like i don't know chicken bones they're using chicken bones (laughs) they got a voodoo person in there (laughs) reading them tea leaves all that and they even say they like they don't even know the name of like the voodoo person they're just like hey voodoo Mm. person get in here (laughs) uh my name is bill and i am a priest (laughs) whatever Get those uh, chicken gizzards out here. So um, one small step for man, one giant leap for Cthulhu. <laughs> Actually, it seems like it'd be a smaller step for Cthulhu than, uh, than <laughs> man. True. So um, anyway, I apologize, everyone. It's a little late, and uh, I think we're both feeling uh, a bit silly. But uh, anyway, so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of things surrounding this film that actually have nothing to do with the film itself. There was. 
the history of the script, the fact that it was on the shelf, the scandal of its of its star, and so I think a lot of people thing. and and the very premise, and I think a lot of a lot of people saw all of that and said, okay, I don't think I need to see this. It sounds ridiculous, and I don't want this. Ter- I don't want to see this terrible guy in the film. And I'm not, not for speaking for myself, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I do think what he- Mel Gibson has done is terrible. Uh, but I actually will be releasing a mini-sode later on this week that speaks to that specifically, because I have actually been thinking about Mel Gibson uh, lately and uh, his, uh, you know, kind of his, his crimes and that sort of thing. Some of them are actual crimes and some, some of them are social crimes. So, anyway... Um, so I guess first off, we'll talk about the, the film itself because there are some themes that I very much want to get into, uh, in a detailed way. Um, because as I said, it did resonate with me in spite of not being a perfect film. Um, but the film itself, so Jodie Foster as a director, I think is capable. I think, uh, there's some, I think it's constructed pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's shot pretty well. Yeah, she's not uh, not breaking any breaking any boundaries or anything like that. Right. It's nothing. It's nothing fantastic in terms of directing, but it's it's very functional. Yeah, I don't mean that in a in a negative way. It 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 works. Yeah, it's. I mean, there are some. I I think I've said this before, maybe on uh, on my other podcast that whenever you see that an actor is directing something immediately it's just like okay mm-hmm. it's probably a vanity project probably not going to be that great they're probably starting off with something small something not really that important and it's probably going to be uh just passable mm-hmm. functional at best but and, or, and or, maybe even not that passable yeah or sometimes in the worst case scenario they're trying to show off and and say look how if you don't know too much about directing, you might you can be overly showy with it, yeah, and uh, kind of goes the other way. I feel that way about Sean Penn's directing, but that's I'm I may be in the minority with that. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's kind of true. Um, yeah, and but that's you know some actors have done very well with it. I think Kevin Costner is actually a pretty good director. I mean, mm-hmm. Dances with Wolves is not a low ambition project, and no. it's done very well. I think Robert Redford. Has done okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Ordinary People is a great movie. Quiz Show is a great movie. Yeah, yeah. Lions for Lambs, not as great a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and this is, I think, Jodie Foster's second film. I really should have looked it up. I'm sorry. Uh, she made a movie called Home for the Holidays back in the mid-90s with uh, Holly Hunter and uh, Robert Downey Jr., and that's actually a very good movie. I highly recommend it. My my wife loves it. We watch it every uh, every Thanksgiving because that's the holiday that it's about. And it's it's very good. I it's I highly recommend it. So when I saw that she was directing something again, I was kind of excited. And uh, and so, but the directing in this film is mostly functional, and that's that's not bad. It at least does not distract. Uh, but as far as I guess I guess my biggest problems are with the script. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I, I had seen it before, but you and I rewatched it a, a couple of days ago. And in in watching it this time, I realized it is it is a certain type of movie where 
it is not meant to be straight up reality. And with a premise like that, where a guy is deals with his depression by speaking through a puppet of a, you know, a beaver puppet. Um, yeah, that's probably not going to be that realistic. Uh, and so the world that these characters live in is a little bit heightened and it's a little, the, the comparison I can make is uh, American beauty Yeah, where everybody, pretty much every character sort of has a quirk Mm -hmm. and they can almost be defined by that quirk as opposed to how they relate to each other. Right. Um, And, and the, the, not only do we have characters that are sort of maybe stock characters, maybe kind of heightened, like you said, a lot of this, most of the scenes that we see are the heightened things happening, you know, are like people having big emotional reactions to something or like people talking about how hard their life is or how upset they are or every, every scene is like an issue. And there's stuff like, like the Jennifer Lawrence character. She is the, Valedictorian. Valedictorian, not not the Valedictorian. That's a that's that, a different thing. Half of that is a word, and the other half is Vala. Right, right. Um, but uh, well, it's yeah. I mean, it's she was she's walking around in uh, Dickensian garb, and right. I guess that's not necessarily Victorian, but uh, but yeah. So, but she's Valedictorian. She's also a cheerleader, but she also used to you know, be into tagging, you know, and, uh, and doing like street art, which is, but she also had like a brother who OD'd spoilers. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, so like, like in, oh, in she, retrospect, she, the, uh, I think her acting is what makes that part work. Cause oh, very as much you're so. describing the character, I'm like, that's, I don't like that. That seems so. And I think it's really um, the acting all around that makes any of these characters work. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Anton Yelchin, uh, his performance makes his character work. His character is a lot of has a lot of these things. He he writes papers for other people. He's in high school and he writes papers for other people, and because he's pretty good at making himself sound like them, and so he has people pay him uh, pretty handsomely to to do this. And he's saving up his money. He's going to be going to to college, but over the summer he is embarking on this project where he wants to go to all the places in the country where like history changed in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, an example that he gives is the, the balcony where Martin Luther King was shot and, and that sort of thing. He just wants to go to these places. Um, he doesn't necessarily specify why. And I kind of, I actually kind of like that he doesn't because I feel like that might actually be overwriting something that is already yeah. overwritten. And it might lead into that uh, montage sequence from Elizabethtown where they're just driving around and music's playing and it's like, look how happy these people are and this right. music fits with where they are. And after a while you're like, wow, I don't I don't care. I didn't really like these people that much to begin with. And now I've been watching their road trip for what seems like an hour. <laughs> Elizabeth Elizabethtown is a good example of this type of of genre. Yeah, because I, honestly, I think Cameron Crowe writes that way a lot. By, of the time. by good example, I mean uh, bad example. Right, it's right. a bad movie. It, it, it's a, a pertinent example. There you go. Not not a quality. Not an example of quality uh, film done in this way. But yeah, I, I think Cameron Crowe's writing a lot of time is that it's very 
it's very heightened and unrealistic and people are always talking about kind of ideals and big things and every character has like a quirk Mm -hmm. about them um that makes them them unique and that's not a style that never works i i think there are a lot of movies that i like that work that way but it's uh, maybe it's riskier somehow well it's if you do it well and i think like american beauty does it pretty well there's a lot of stuff that i think doesn't necessarily hold up but there's a there's a lot of good in that movie and i think it requires a very steady hand on the part of the writer the part of the director and the actors Mm -hmm. um but to go back to anton yelchin i'm not even done so he writes these papers to get money to go to these places he he hates his father but he sees a lot of similarities between he and his father and he writes those similarities on these little post-it notes and posts them on his wall. Which seems like something Juno might do if she has a father Very that much she so. doesn't want to end up like. And he, so that he can just remind himself of all of these traits that he can hopefully lose at some point. I'm not even done. On top of that, he has, a ma- he has his map where, of all the places he wants to go, and behind that map is... The wall. A tunnel to Mordor. Well, it's, it's a tunnel. A tunnel to pain. A tunnel to sadness. A tunnel that he creates by bashing his head into the wall. Tunnel, tunnel to pain, I think, is a Bob Dylan song. <laughs> I, I think the next line in the song is tunnel to sadness. <laughs> and so, so when he is feeling a great deal of angst and anguish, he will move the poster aside and just go to his bashing wall and smash his head into the wall. All of these things... I mean, there are, that's like four quirky things about the character. And with a lesser actor in that part, I would just roll my eyes. Every time he writes a note and puts it up there, every time he's like, yeah, I'll write that paper for you. Every time he hits his head into the wall, I'd be like, oh, come on. But Anton Yelchin really sells it. And like when he bashes his head into the wall, I mean the expression that's on his face and the ferocity, ferocity mm-hmm. with which he does it. You know, it is not, it's not like a cry for help. Like he is committing. He just is so furious. You really feel like this is the only thing he can think of to do. And as strange as it, sa- as it sounds, that thing, which is probably the most eye rolling thing, that is, uh, it works. It worked for me. I felt that it, I really felt his, just the anguish that he was feeling and the, the emotional impotence that he was feeling. I can't do anything, so I will do this. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a function of, of the actor, because on the page, all of that would be like, ugh, this is, no thank you. <laughs> and so, uh, same with Jennifer Lawrence, and I would say... Same with Mel Gibson, mm. uh, with a couple of exceptions. I do think he's a good actor, but I do not necessarily think he is the most subtle actor. Yeah. With a script like this, that can work in his favor. But I don't necessarily... So the film starts and the character is depressed. He's a, an executive at a company, and he is depressed. And we see that he is depressed because he just always has this... An expression that can only be described as hangdog. He has kind of a hangdog expression on his face, and he just kind of walks around like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And we honestly we don't hear him 
speak until he speaks through the beaver, do we? No, not really. I don't think he says it. Because I, I, I found that odd that we're seeing the other characters and seeing them react a little bit and talk a little bit. And even though we know Melgadon's going to be the main character, it's a little... We're sort of introduced to the other characters a little more mm-hmm. first, at least seeing them. In the, there's a narration that kind of leads us into it. And that sort of has Mel Gibson's character, uh, Walter, Walter, that's his name, uh, Walter as a central character and sort of sets up his, his, uh, family members around him. But then we kind of, we see a little bit of what their lives are like, and then we kind of come to him later on, it seems. And I and, actually sort of like that choice because it does make him seem like an absentee yeah, in the I, lives of his family. I do like that choice about it. And the fact that he feels as though he doesn't have a voice or perhaps is not allowed a voice until this opportunity presents itself or maybe doesn't deserve a voice. Right. And so the, but the problem with that is that if you're going to have to convey, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I feel useless without any lines. Well, then that means you need to convey it through body language and facial expression. And like I said, he's not a very subtle actor, so I think he might overplay it a little bit. I I think he does, even in... We really don't see that many scenes where he's actually dealing with the depression, and in those scenes, it's it's a little big. And that's the thing, is... is, And this is where... Josh and I were were talking, and I, I won't go too much into this, but we were talking about how much to talk about ourselves when we are talking about a movie and i feel like i talk about myself a great deal i probably i might do it too much um but when it comes to something like this uh, a film like this in which a character is dealing with depression which is something that i've sort of dealt with uh uh this year um you know i i just in myself like i look at, at what they're having what Jodie Foster has Mel Gibson do to signify depression and it just seems like like well that's not what it looks like but I will say that maybe it looks different for different people you know it doesn't have to look like what mine looked like it didn't have to look like you know so but even giving him the benefit of the doubt in that sense I, it does seem more like he's playing the essence of depression as opposed to playing someone that is depressed mm-hmm. and there's a big difference between those um, and like when when the time comes for him this is pretty early so it's not a spoiler or anything but uh, he try, he, go, he moves into a hotel and he puts his tie around the shower rack shower curtain rod shower, yeah. and uh he's going to hang himself and he really like goes for it. And then the shower curtain rod falls down and it's kind of amusing. And then he's just like walking around with it, like still tied to his tie and it's a comical image. And I feel like maybe that is a misstep Hmm. on the part of Jodie Foster because it's like, I get that, he just doesn't have the energy to take this off of him as he climbs to the hotel balcony to jump off of it. But part of me is like, we did just watch a man try to m- kill himself. Yeah. I think there, I think there may be throughout the movie, there may be too many times when it makes either makes light of the subject matter or doesn't take the subject matter seriously enough. Yeah. Like I feel like there are times when it treats it realistically and, and has, has meaningful things to say about the issue of depression, but as a whole, 
if you were to say that this movie as a whole is addressing depression, it might not address it in the most uh, sensitive way. And that's the thing, is that, like, there's... And also, I think some of the musical... Like I said, Jodie Foster, she's functional, but that doesn't... As a, as a director, she does pretty well, but there are a couple of choices, like, mm. And one of them, I think, is are, are some, not all, but some musical choices early on. I, like I, the use of uh, accordion, I believe... Yeah, or something like it, um, which gives everything kind of a kind of a silly feel. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, a feel that like nah, this is it lowers the stakes. I think, um, and it just it sort of that sort of bothers me. It, it kind of gives everything kind of a glib feeling, and so in some cases, the actors sort of need to overcome what the writer, what the director is doing, but I think they do a good job. And while I did just say that Mel Gibson kind of overplays it in those early scenes, when it comes time for the beaver to talk, I think he does very well. Um, that might just be me. Uh, what did you think? Um, it's hard to tell. And I, I think what I want to see in that movie, and again, that doesn't mean that's what the movie's re- responsible to do, but what I want to see, and I feel like may, might be more effective, would be if the it's very clear to us that the the beaver is one person and, and he is another person. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's mostly clear, but we lose something in not seeing too much of Mel Gibson beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it's almost we start out seeing him, and the, and the first scene where we really get to see him doing anything... We see 30 to 45 seconds, maybe a minute of him trying to kill himself. And then there's the beaver talking to him. Next scene, it's the beaver talking. Most of the rest of the movie, it's the beaver talking. So mm-hmm. we aren't that sure. I, I feel like I think in my head that the beaver is its own real, very specific presence. Um, and I think that might trick me into thinking that that's that much different than Mel Gibson, than the character of Walter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it might be that I've, we never really get to know Walter. We really only right. see the beaver. And so, and what I, what yeah. I took out of it is that the energy level of the character of the beaver, which is the puppet and Walter speaking through him in a kind of a cockney accent, yeah. um, that the character of the beaver and his energy level, that's probably what Walter used to be. Hmm. Um, he didn't have this accent, of course, um, and he doesn't. And he doesn't. I get the impression he never let himself say a lot of the things that he allows himself to say through this beaver. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like I said, or like Josh said, the the premise can be a little silly, but it's not necessarily an unheard of thing. Like I, I remember taking a, a psychology class, and they said that. Anonymity, uh, anonymity can provide a certain degree of freedom for some people, much like it's not an unheard of practice. If somebody feels like, if a, if a psychologist or somebody feels that somebody is really like holding back, they actually will have them wear a mask hmm. and the person is much more able to express themselves. And you actually hear about it a lot with actors that an actor who would never, a person who would never want to go on stage as themselves, throw on a costume and be given these lines to say and be somebody else and suddenly 
they find so much freedom. It's a, it's, it's a, cath- a cathartic thing. So yeah. while the premise is, is goofy because of what it is, because it is a puppet and a puppet of a, an adorable looking beaver. Um, the concept behind it is not outlandish. Mm. Um, and so with the character of the beaver, I think you get, I think you get who Walter used to be, but also the stuff that he longed to be the stuff that he longed to say. Mm. Um, and you get, you get some of this when he goes into his company, which he, which belonged to his father. It's a toy company, which by the way, the, the toys, the toy company is called Jerry, Jerry Co. Yeah, which I'm wondering the whole time is that supposed to sound like Jericho, and I don't think it is because I can't think of a way that that would be a, a metaphor that works in the movie. But I don't know. I think actually it could work oh, yeah? in that the Beaver talks about tearing everything down, hmm. tearing down, da- burning down the house, and starting over again. Burning and the walls of Jericho, it's all about tearing them down. That's a David Burns uh, talking head song. Which is what? Burning down the house. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, Anyway. so uh, (laughs) thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, podcast world. I'm here for you. I got your your David Byrne references right here. And he's here because I invited him on. Yeah. I'm sorry. Can't take it back. You probably can. I probably could, but I feel like I, I feel like I'd be doing something wrong if I yeah, was. Exactly, and someone out there next week would be like, "Man, I wish I could hear something about David Byrne and Lee Majors." Exactly. And it's just back to Tyler talking by himself <laughs> at such a quiet tone that I have no choice but to sleep. <laughs> um, so, <coughs> excuse me. So when when Walter and the Beaver go into uh, his company, and the Beaver announces, "Hey, I'm I'm taking over," and ev- all the employers are like, "Yeah, I guess it's time for me to look for another job." That's their general attitude. But backup plan. But the thing is, what the and this is I, I I think this is a function of some good writing and good performance on the part of Mel Gibson as the Beaver. Um, what he he says things that make sense. It's not him saying, "So I'm the beaver, and we're all going to uh, eat the building." And uh, because beavers like what you know, like he doesn't say cr- like just straight up crazy stuff. He says stuff that makes sense, and he says stuff that he clearly accepts to be true. One of the things is he took this job and he was not at all ready for it. He was uh, the beavers talks about Wal- Walter. Uh, at, you know, in the third person says, he doesn't say I, he says he. So he says, Walter took this job. He wasn't ready for it. This person over here was way more qualified. He was in over his head and he just did not do a good job with it. And frankly, he's kind of a loser. And when people hear that, people are like, oh, that is a surprising amount of honesty. And he's saying what we've probably all been thinking. Um, but also it's so they themselves are sort of won over. And he also says like, by the way, if I haven't made the company better in a week or two, uh, then you guys can quit and you'll have severance and you'll have a, a nice letter of recommendation. So he does put that out there as well. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll go with it. If it, I can go with a, a lunatic, if it means, uh, I, I get some good benefits at the end of it. Um, 
But as far as the character, I mean, he's... You really only... You, you get the impression that this is the first time he's given real voice to these things because he wouldn't mm-hmm. let himself think, I'm not doing a good job with this company. I should not have gotten the job. Mm-hmm. You know, because... And I think a lot of us lie to ourselves. Like, if we find ourselves in circumstances that we probably didn't earn... Rather than be honest and say, like, I didn't earn it, I'm very fortunate to have gotten it, and now what do I do? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are like, no, yeah, no I, I, I earned it, I'm, I'm doing a good job, because it, you know, to admit that you're not is, it's painful. Mm-hmm. And when, and so he says, he, through the beaver, he's able to say things that he's clearly been thinking for a very long time. But when the beaver describes him as a loser, you, that's when you get like, oh, there's there's really, this is a man who is not happy with himself. Like, it's not merely that he feels hemmed in by his circumstances. He really doesn't like himself. Mm. And so, so it's, it's, it's really, it's moments like that that I actually respond to. Um, they don't, I don't mean to give the film a pass as a result of them because there's enough contrivance in the film and enough kind of clunky directing Um and some some overacting, and the script is not perfect, but uh, there's enough, I think, honesty there. It's all it's almost honest in spite of itself, mm-hmm. in spite of all the quirks, in spite of the goofy premise. It's almost like the fact of what depression is, what mental illness is, still comes through. I think the root of what he's feeling comes through, and I think I think that's where it has its most appeal, and I think that's kind of where it. Uh, specifically stood out to you if i'm if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and um so i i think that and and again some of the some of the acting uh those are the things that are redeeming about the film like you said there are a lot of other things that that don't work so much e- even the premise as strange as it is i feel like that sort of thing can work sometimes when i saw the movie i i was reminded of the film Lars and the Real Girl which is a very it has a, a different theme. It's not about depression, but it is about a character who personifies an object mm-hmm. and how the people around him have to live. You know, his fa- friends and family have to to live with a person who personifies uh, an object. Mm-hmm. In that that movie, he orders this toy, like life-size toy doll person, yeah. um, which is very creepy and weird, but... Um, you know, if you were to say to someone, yeah, I really like this movie about how Ryan Gosling orders a, a you know, a life-size doll of a person and then lives with it as if it's his girlfriend. And everybody goes along with it. Yeah, you would be like, that sounds like a stupid movie. But mm-hmm. it, it's not because somehow that movie... That movie does a great job of having the people around him... It, putting people really in that situation like i'm believing that these people are in that situation because they you see them saying to each other like his his family and people saying what do we do with this like there's they're acknowledging that there's something wrong with him right. and they're figuring out how they're going to live with that anyway and i think the beaver tries to jump a lot of that to get to the story mm-hmm. um and i think that that undercuts itself a little bit because I'm not so much believing that his family accepts it as quickly as they do. I'm not believing that his, his uh, coworkers accept it as quickly as they do. So those are some of the things that I think uh, are, are flaws in the film. But like we were saying, I do like 
some of the things it has to say about depression and some of the honesty of uh, Walter's character and the way he, as someone who's depressed, feels about himself mm-hmm. as heard through the words of the beaver. And actually, I, uh, when it comes to his family, they do accept it rather quickly, but they never accept it fully. And I think that is a, that is a good thing. Because, except his youngest son. His youngest thinks, son does, which I think, uh, I think the uh, youngest son's going to be the person who has the hardest time dealing with it. Because it's not as if, you know, I, I thought that the film was going to be, he has to convince everyone, or part of it would be he convinces everyone that he's going to talk through this beaver and eventually they're okay with it. And then, you know, it goes on wherever from there. But as soon as he gets it, he only speaks as the beaver to people. So if he, if you show up... um to see your young son. No, no one's explained it to the youngest son. He goes to pick up the young son at school. So this is the first time the son has seen his father in a while. And his father only speaks to him by way of a puppet that speaks of his father in the third person. Like, I, I feel like that's not something the kid's going to take to right away. And so I don't know that one struck me as unnatural. And I actually think the kid would simply because, Hey, dad's talking again. You know, and and he seems to be having fun. I would and, be frightened by that if I was a child. Well, that's the difference between you and me. Well, maybe. Actually, I'd probably be creeped out by it. But again, you know, it's it seems like Dad is playing a game, and Dad's talking. He's taking an interest in me again, and I, I do think that when you get the impression that someone is making the effort you will give them a, a bit of leeway. Now, mm-hmm. the kid, the, the youngest kid is maybe a bit too accepting, but as far as um, Walter's wife, played by Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. um, who's an actress that doesn't work that often, um, I think, I'm pretty sure that's by choice, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, she was recently in Carnage, which I didn't see. She was, A couple mm-hmm. years ago, she was in The Brave One, which I also didn't see. But uh, But she is a good actress, and what I like about her is that she she thinks this is ridiculous of course but she does she she believes that it is from that this is a prescription puppet mm. and that uh his his psychologist or psychiatrist thinks that this is a good idea and admittedly she probably willfully puts some of her worries aside but at the same time and and so she does sort of accept it for a while and recognize he's he's taking an interest in the family again so this is good but at every moment in the even in sometimes in looks that she gives sometimes in things that she says you see that i'm put it, this is something i'm putting up with she's i don't think she's ever accepting it she's yeah. putting up with it because at the moment it is making things better but whenever she gets the chance she tries to say so are you done with this yet because i'd like you to be Mm -hmm. um and then the scene that i think actually worked the most for me is when uh it's their anniversary and they're going to go out to dinner and uh and she specifically says no i and he's like hey all right here we go and he's speaking as the beaver and he's like i got a little tux ready and all that kind of thing and it's it's a goofy moment but in that oddly enough in that scene you actually see the events more through her than through walter and so when he says he goes i've got a tux here 
Uh, he doesn't say that, by the way. That's a terrible line if he says that. I got <laughs> a tux here. Let's doesn't go and seem, eat a dinner. Everything Doesn't that seem like some kind of Norm MacDonald quote? <laughs> I've got a tux here. Just Anyway, so... But when, when he pulls that out, like, you actually... If it were from a different point of view, it'd be like, hey, that's kind of funny. But from its, because from her point of view, it's like, there's exasperation in it. Hmm. And we sort of take our cues from her and... She says, no, I, this is our anniversary. I want to go with my husband. Mm -hmm. And so they go and he's quiet. He doesn't really want to talk. It's, it's him and her, even though he has the puppet on his arm, he keeps it at his side and they try to have a conversation. You see how genuinely awkward it is. Uh, And then she does this thing where she pulls out a, a memory box that the youngest son made and it's all these memories of the family and that sort of thing and she does that as a way of maybe kind of of jarring him back into who he is not this beaver character but who he is and his past and mel gibson's uh, and walter kind of uh, hyperventilates and i think that might actually be a bit of an overplaying it mm-hmm. but he he he's very frustrated with this, probably because he's feeling like his wife is putting a lot of pressure on him and all that. And then the beaver comes back up and sort of, for lack of a better term, saves him. But the what he says in that moment, he says, "Do you really think the problem is that he doesn't remember this stuff? Is that really what you think the issue is?" And then he tries to convince her, "You need to give up on this man. You need to give up on Walter." And then he says something. I, I told you this before he says something about walter that on a bad day i i I once described i said about myself which was um he says this man is a dead end and there i can't imagine anything more really just more dismissive and just awful than saying that about yourself it's the only thing i can compare it to is i don't know why i'm laughing is uh something that uh, comedian mike schmidt uh, a phrase I once heard him use, which is, uh, man, that guy is a swing and a miss. <laughs> like that, that to me is like, uh, just, it, it implies effort and to no avail. <laughs> and so, um, so when he says like, this man is a dead end, you should move, like you need to move on. He's hopeless. Like mm-hmm. in that moment, you, it, it's, it's such a sad thing that, and you realize he's not, that the, that the beavers it might be hampering progress mm-hmm. it's giving him a voice but the issue is not that oh i i need to give these feelings a voice it's well you need you need to not be feeling these feelings anymore that's the issue mm-hmm. and and i i think i like i do like that scene because i think that gives kind of a nuanced uh, that has a nuanced approach to the way that he's feeling because you hear the beaver say two different, well, several different things, but some of the things that the beaver's saying are are true. It's not just that he's forgotten things. It isn't just uh, that he needs to remember and then everything will be better. I think that might be something a, a psychologist would say mm-hmm. as well. But then when the beaver says this man's a dead end and you should give up on him, that that shows that duality of of real depression in that. In in partially realizing what understanding what your problem is, but uh, partially not you know being too hard on yourself, right? Um, 
about the issue. And so the, I, I, I like I like that about that. Um, and there's the honesty in that we like Jodie Foster's character. We like his wife. She's not a bad person. Mm-hmm. And she wa- she's being patient. She's trying to go along with she's things. She's trying to help. And in doing this thing that she thinks will help, it actually, it's not helping. Mm-hmm. And that is, a, and that's, I mean, if there's any, if there are any, anybody, if there's anybody out there who's like dealing with depression or, or something like that, and specifically, and we'll get into this a little bit later, specifically if you are Christian, you will often find people who have, they, just try this. Mm-hmm. If you just try this, you'll, that'll probably help. Yeah. And it's people who, not to imply that she's, that she's not making the effort to understand, but that she's clearly outside of it. Mm-hmm. She's doing what she thinks will help. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Simply because she's making the effort, that's not, where he is right now, that's not enough. Yeah. And, and that bit of honesty, that, like that's a very true thing when you're dealing with these kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. And you do feel very, very alone. And every time someone tries to help you, it just shows how far removed they are from you and your mm-hmm. circumstances. And that kind of that was going to lead me into something else, but I'm not sure if I'm be jumping ahead too far. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll I'll float it and you see when uh, okay. tell me what you think. That that uh, brings up the idea to me because um, you're talking about Jodie Foster trying to to help him, but she doesn't. She's still from the outside and doesn't really know an effective way to uh, to help him. Mm-hmm. In the film, it seems to me that it doesn't really give an answer for how he should be treated and how he should, uh, you know, what, what are his solutions in this situation? We never, he never goes back for any kind of counseling. He doesn't seem to be on any kind of medication. Uh, he maybe gets himself out of it. Maybe is still dealing with it. Um, how do you think the film, do you think the film film responsibly deals with, getting help about depression uh i think it's and a lot of this is going to be like infused with i don't know some of my own experiences and some of the advice that i've gotten from other people a lot of it is accepting the help that is there mm-hmm. and some t- you can seek help and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and again i'll get to that a little bit later um but his wife is there and his ch- his children are there and he just hasn't seen it. Um, and so like, and so what happens is, and we'll, this, this actually might sort of get us into our companion film a little bit, but I don't want to get there quite yet. Um, so the beaver starts out being a positive force. It finally gives, it, it provides a release. Mm-hmm. And clearly Walter, he describes himself through the beaver as a loser, as a dead end, hopeless, you know, just someone that everything about him is bad. And he clearly, in in having this beaver speak for him and feeling the freedom through that, he clearly doesn't want to be him. He looks in the mirror and does not like it, like anything that he sees. Yeah. And as will often happen, no matter, and this, you don't have to be depressed to feel this, by the way. Like, you, like there are some people who are just like, I wish I could be this. I wish I could be that really anything but me. I really don't want, I don't like this. 
Um, and there is a certain degree of freedom in actually getting to be someone else mm-hmm. and be like, oh, this is wonderful. But over the course of the film, and, and I feel like this happens pretty organically, the beaver turns from a positive force to a negative force mm-hmm. because he starts to lose any bit of his identity and the beaver is encouraging that and saying, just let me handle everything. And and he, through, through the beaver, he started to reconnect with his family, but then the beaver says, like, you don't need them. They don't understand you. Only I understand you. I love you. No one else loves you. And only when the beaver says, hey, these these people that are here for you that are supporting you they're not really that great just get rid of them only then i think does he does he realize oh this is a bad thing in my life i think i need to get rid of it and he winds up doing he winds up doing it in a very extreme manner mm-hmm. um and so i think and that's the thing is that the film is not very overt about saying you should do this or you should do that. But one thing that it does communicate is, you know, like when you're feeling depressed, the last thing you feel is love. You might feel love towards someone, but you certainly don't feel it coming back, even if it's there. And one thing that the film seems to say th- through uh, Walter's story, but also through Jennifer Lawrence's character, her speech at the end, um, is that there are people that love you if you just let them love you. And that can be a very difficult thing, but that's what you need to be striving for. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I might get uh, a little bit personal, that's uh, it, in a very recent counseling session, something that we talked about was that I, and I've, I've talked about it on the show before that like, I, I never accept any compliments. And so part of me is like, Oh, if only people said nice, more nice things about me It's like, well, mm-hmm. that's not the issue people already say plenty of nice things about me. Um, like the, like the, like, let's say with, uh, iTunes reviews for BP, mm-hmm. the ratio of positive to negative is crazy. I, yeah. There's still plenty of negative. Don't get me wrong, but those are the ones I focus on. And so the question is not how many positive ones, but they're already there. You just need to actually learn to accept them mm-hmm. and learning to accept the love of other people. And as we'll talk about later, the love of God, you will, you will realize you don't need to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. You can be, tr- you will be, you're loved and treasured as you are. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think that's ultimately what the film is, is saying is open your eyes and look around. You'll, you'll, be surprised to see how many people love and care about you and you don't need to hate yourself. So, um, but I I do what I think that's a good message. Uh, Mm -hmm. I like the message and I think that that has a general appeal and it has a, a a broad appeal. Yeah, it has a broad appeal, but I, I question how seriously it takes the addition, the issue of like actual clinical depression because right. there, I think there are different levels of it. And if we're to believe that, that, uh, Walter is a man who has, has begun to do nothing but sleep all day, doesn't talk to anyone and wants to kill himself, opening his eyes to see that the people around him care for him may not be enough. Right. I mean, his, yeah, that's, it does simplify things a little bit. It's a good message. Right. But ultimately, 
a message like that, it could it, take it said the wrong way and taken the wrong way. It could it could it might as well Backfire. be that memory box, yeah. which is like, oh, do you think the issue is that I'm not aware that I am loved? That's not the issue. The issue is that I feel like I don't deserve these people, these people's loves, and I these people's love, and I don't know how to get to a point where I accept that. So, yeah, it's 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 a simplified thing. And whenever you deal with like you know issues of mental illness, like they can't take it all the way because that's yeah. that, I think that was one of the things that we spoke about after seeing the movie is you can't show a movie about depression and yeah y- you have to choose one way or the other. You can't have it like have things resolve and be a realistic uh, depiction of at least like serious clinical depression. Like that doesn't, it doesn't happen in the span of a movie, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you can't have someone sit down and a character talks to another character. And now he hears the thing that he's needed to hear all his life. And now he's not clinically depressed anymore. Like that doesn't happen. But at the same time, you can't, uh, it, movies of of this style at least don't work if it just gets to the end and it's like yeah he's still depressed he's gonna be maybe for the rest of his life right um (laughs) then then you're gonna then you will have completely alienated this audience right they were like i got past mel gibson got past talking puppet i got past some of the uh some of the story flaws and some of the quirky things i don't like so much and now you're just gonna be you're gonna end all depressing on me it's yeah. going to end like the heart is a lonely hunter, which I won't tell you how it ends, but it's depressing and, 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 and unnecessarily depressing ending, I think. And so, and I, I do think maybe it ends where, you know, it shows like, you know, he and his family like reconcile. And I do like the reconciliation scene between he and his son. Like it, yeah, it like works for well. me. And that's a function of the actors, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, but like it shows like he and his family on a roller coaster everything's great and by the way I think that exact shot is in American Beauty, um, like <laughs> like but in this case it's in the present whereas that was in the past. Um, but anyway, so uh, so everything I think is a little too happy. Everything's worked out a little too easily. What I think what I think would be a better ending is that he's willing to make the effort. And mm-hmm. sometimes it is an extreme effort, but he's trying. Yeah. And, I think and the very if, fact that he's trying is progress. I think if the film were couched in more of a realism, then we could get to the end and we could see a very small step to, for him. And right. that could mean a lot to us. Like in this, in the way the film is, as it is now, if it were to end with us seeing like, you know, he's made one step, maybe he's going, he's starting to go to counseling or like, maybe he can, he can just talk a little bit to people like in this film that wouldn't be that effective it might if the film was was different but i don't i don't think it would be with the rest of the film up to that point the way it is um and i think him on the him on the roller coaster works for this film but isn't yeah. as true to the uh, to the issue i mean there are plenty of movies that end hopeful without having everything resolved yeah, i mean before totally. we started recording you talked about magnolia. magnolia exactly i was thinking about the same thing a, like that <laughs> That's a character a, who has had who's been deeply wronged and yeah. hates herself, hates yeah. other people in a dark place. Still, even as yeah. the movie's ending, and she winds up. Not only does she look at the camera, which is a very dramatic thing to happen, but mm-hmm. she gives the slightest of smiles. Yeah, and it's a hopeful smile. Smash cut to black. Yeah, you know, like that's all. And I'll, uh, another another instance is um, uh, about Schmidt, where. 
Mm. The now he doesn't have a slight thing, but this is a character who has gone through a lot of stuff, and and by the end he feels worthless, like mm-hmm. his life has been a waste, and then he is reminded that no, you can still make a difference, and he cries a little bit and smiles. Smash cut to black. Does that yeah. mean his life is fixed? No, no, it just means that he's hopeful. Exactly. You know, you know what? Uh, I, I've talked before about the problems. Well, maybe not on the show, but I've talked about the problems that I have with Alexander Payne before. But I feel like maybe Alexander Payne could have made uh, could have made the Beaver. Oh yeah, and a little bit. Uh, he he could have made it pretty effectively. Well, every uh, it's been a while since I've seen Election, but I seem to recall Election having this too. Every film he's made from Election on, I have not seen Citizen Ruth. But has had a hopeful ending. Mm-hmm. Did you so see I, The Descendants now? I did see The Desc- did, okay. Descendants, yes. Um, I'm sorry, spoilers. It, I, I haven't it, seen it yet, don't you? Yeah, it doesn't end with everybody killing each other. Oh, okay. So, anything beyond that's a hopeful ending the way I look at it. <laughs> you know, I keep thinking, as it gets to the end of every sideways, I'm expecting bloodbath at the end of that Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. It was a Just a real, surprise. as they would say on uh, Futurama, although I think they only say it in the commentary, a real blood tornado at the end of that film. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> so yeah it's it's but i think you're right this is not a subtle film so a subtle smile at the end might be lost yeah even though that might be a more realistic ending right it it, it wouldn't work no. for this film so you, you gotta pick your battle sort of and and uh this film i think went with the broader message went with the happier ending yeah and yeah you can so, take that or leave it so i think uh before we really uh, and we've delved, we've sort of delved into the theme a little bit, but before we talk about the companion film and, and wrap things up, I think uh, I want to take a little break. So we'll be uh, right back and we'll talk about the companion film, uh, David Fincher's Fight Club. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing all right after that break. It was that refreshing. Oh man, I uh, took a little run, saw a couple movies. Oh, nice. Did you watch The Beaver again? I did. Okay. What do you think of it this time? I love it now. Okay. <laughs> I take back everything negative I had to say about it. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, okay, uh, we've been going uh, a little bit longer than I think the movie requires. So uh, let's try to wrap this up. Um, but I do want to. I do want to spend uh, you know a significant portion of time on the companion film, which is uh, David Fincher's Fight Club. Came out in 1999. It was written by Jim Ools. Hmm. I don't know if that's how you say that. And speaking of not knowing how to say things, it was based on a book by Chuck Polinick. Polinick. Yeah. Okay. I've heard. He- po- I've heard Polinuck. He says Polinick? He himself says you say it as if it's two different names, Paula and Nick. Okay. So, Polinick. There's an extraneous U in there that is off-putting. There is. It's probably... uh, Some Europeans did it a long time ago, and now we all have to suffer. He can change his name if he wants. 
too late. I guess. What a jip. Anyway, so uh, I'm sure many of you have already seen it, and if you listen to BP at all, you know that I'm actually not a huge fan of it. Uh, but as as time has gone, I liked it when I first saw it. Then I was not a big fan of it, and as time has gone on, I've kind of come back around. I don't. I certainly don't love it as much as I used to. Um, but I also don't write it off as much as I as much as I used to. Um, I think there's some value to the film. I think there's a lot of good in that movie. Hmm. Um, we should say at this point also, if you have not seen Fight Club and do not know what happens in it, uh, we would recommend that you probably not listen to the rest of this. Yeah. If somehow you've made it to now and you don't know that there is a a, yeah. a big spoiler or that anything like that. Um, that is going to be spoiled in order for us to be able to talk about this. Very, yes, absolutely. Thank so. you for saying that. And even in saying this is the companion film, you might actually know why. Yeah. Uh, or you might actually be able to figure out what the twist is. Yeah. So, um, but yes, that's, that's a good call. If you haven't seen Fight Club and you don't want us to be spoiled, um, go, you know, go and watch it and then come back. Come on right back to us. We'll be waiting so. here for you. So hold on. Welcome back. How was Fight Club? We'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 we'll do the talking. Okay. Um, there is no uh, 800 number or anything that you can call in. Um, you just grab a soda and kick back. Uh, yeah, just we'll do the thinking for you. Thank you. Um, so Fight Club, it stars Edward Norton as the narrator. He's never actually given an official name. Uh, Brad Pitt stars as a very well-loved character named Tyler Durden. It's got Helena Bonham Carter. In one of her many unseemly roles, um, uh, as the character Marla Singer, it's got Meatloaf, Jared Leto. It's got an odd cast, and uh, the, and that's the thing. I mean, Fight Club is a that's an episode in itself, except it falls uh, outside of the uh, range, so it will never have its own episode. Yeah, this so, is how you get Fight Club. Exactly. Be newer. <laughs> that's weird. Anyway, so. Uh, there's a lot going on with this film and there's a lot of themes to explore. There's major themes of nihilism. Um, so fight club long story. Okay. I, there's going to be spoilers as I sum up quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Edward Norton plays, uh, uh, a character who is bored with his life has chronic insomnia, quite the opposite of Walter black who can't stop sleeping. This guy can't, can't start. Mm -hmm. Um, he doesn't really have a lot of friends. The friends don't mean much. And he just... You could, you could look at his life and say he's, he's dealing with some depression. Um, and he just feels insignificant and unsatisfied. And so... So he starts doing a weird thing where he starts going to support groups. And he sees people... You know, he sees emotion flowing out of them. Um you know, support groups about, you know, cancer and, and you see people who either have survived or are not going to survive and they, and they deal with, with this by just kind of pouring out themselves and he's never felt like he's been able to do that. And so he's able to sort of pretend that he's someone not himself and he's able to express the emotion that he feels he's never been able to express, even though it's not a real emotion. It's still, it's, it is still like a certain degree of existential despair, 
mm-hmm. um, because these people know they have had a brush with death and he feels that life is not that meaningful. Uh, but then somebody comes into his life, a very cool guy, a hipster guy named Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt. Uh, and any complaint I have with the film is about Tyler Durden, about <laughs> how he is treated, how he is written, mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. So, uh, the narrator and Tyler Durden, they get together and Tyler has a very, uh, nihilistic philosophy and, you know, very anti-authority, very anti-establishment. Uh, he's almost kind of hedonistic to a degree. I'd say that's about right. Yeah. And drink and fight each other. And there, and their income, there comes the fight club. Mm-hmm. is he and various other men start this uh, this thing where you go in and you just fight with other guys. You have no particular beef with them. You just do it so that you can feel alive. And so, uh, but then it, and, and it's, it's a very, it's a very freeing thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, suddenly Norton's character is sleeping great <coughs> and he has more confidence. He's not quite the sad sack he was before. But then Fight Club starts to evolve into something called Project Mayhem that the narrator's not really in on. Tyler is running this with various members of the Fight Club. Excuse me. Fight Club. There's no the or the. And so uh, so he's not really involved in this, and it's becoming sort of a, sort of a terrorist movement. Um, and he doesn't really want any part of that. Uh, but everything is moving on without him and that's when he discovers in i think a pretty good scene that uh there is no tyler durden tyler durden doesn't exist except he does he is the narrator the narrator has multiple personalities or rather just the two as if that's no big deal <laughs> that's not that bad it's only two personalities yeah, my I cousin mean, eddie he's got five one of them's uh, a doctor i know I wish that's the guy who... Yeah, but he's not like a real doctor. He just says he's a doctor. But I man, wish. can he pull teeth? You're thinking of a dentist. Yeah, it's kind of a Why'd doctor. Why'd you pick the one thing that a doctor doesn't do? <laughs> dentist is a doctor. DDS. Come doctor on. of dentistry. That's what it stands for. Yeah, I went to college. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. What college you go to again? I don't remember. It was a long right. time ago. <laughs> I live in the now. <laughs> so I'm living for today. Thanks, John Lennon. So uh, sorry, everybody. If you like that song, I uh, don't. <laughs> sorry for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's not. We're not. That's I not what we're trying song. to. I know. I don't like it either. But uh, anyway, so he finds out. Yeah, Tyler is a function of him. Tyler. I mean, he and he's best. And so he's. So Tyler's talking to him. He says, "Like, I look how you want to look." I say what you want to say. I'm. You wish you were me, and now I've enabled you to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, obviously, in that sense, it's very similar to the Beaver. Right. He, There's the obvious comparison there. He's yeah. able to say the things that he's that he's wanted to say. He's able right. to get a lot of the things done that he's always wanted to do. Yeah. But uh, Tyler Durden, as with the Beaver, sort of takes over and right. uh, becomes a, a negative force, and then that leaves our central character in a place where they have to try and figure out a way <laughs> around themselves. And it's a pretty, and at the core of both of these stories and many others, 
I mean, it's essentially Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. It's there's there's a there's something in us and 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 you'll find it in a lot of uh, werewolf movies by the way mm-hmm. and stories um especially twilight that's a joke there's nothing of substance in those um so the there's something in us this animalistic thing that we're not allowing ourselves not even necessarily animalistic but impulsive mm-hmm. um the id if you will one could say that i saw forbidden planet Anyway, so uh, did you ever see Forbidden Planet? I did, but when I, when I go to think of Freudian uh, theory, Forbidden Planet's not the first movie that pops it's into my head. Monsters of the id. <laughs> you should see Forbidden... By the way, I know it sounds like we're making fun. Forbidden it, Planet's it, actually a pretty good it movie. It is a good movie, yeah. It's an old 50s sci-fi... 50s? 60s? Uh, I don't. I think 50s. I think 50s, late maybe? 50s or early 60s. It's When you think like 50s, maybe early 60s sci-fi movie that has... There are people in monster costumes, are there not? It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't... Robot? I don't, is there a robot costume? I, there is a robot, but I don't think there's a, a monster costume. Isn't there like a... Because it's loosely based on the Tempest. Isn't there like a... Yeah. Uh, what's the... I can't think of the monster character's name. For Caliban? The Caliban. Isn't there a Caliban-type character? Yes, I think it's... that's. I think that's the monster of the id. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Yeah. But it's not But it's not a guy in a suit. But okay. it's a very good movie. I highly recommend it. It but, is a good movie, yeah. But anyway, so uh, so there's this thing in us that we want that we just society says don't do that, and we want to be and and some it it doesn't even have to be something animalistic or impulsive or negative. It's just unbridled honesty, mm-hmm. and sometimes that honesty could be like I want to punch this guy in the face. If I'm honest with myself, that's exactly what I want to do. But I won't say it, and I certainly won't do it. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Hyde, Werewolves, The Beaver, Tyler Durden, they allow these men to do do these things, and and it feels great. Oh, finally. This is... it's, It's such a release. But sooner or later... That's it's what takes over the uh, Incredible Hulk is is like it as well, um, you know it's, it's so clearly I mean this this is not an unusual you know you find this in a lot of yeah. mediums and past present and certainly in the future and so that means that there's a resonant thing of us wanting to be someone else be someone who can say the things we don't want to say and and either about life or about us Mm -hmm. and so the narrator has given tyler durden sort of free reign and tyler has now gone way too far fight club was one thing but now project mayhem trying to bring down society is quite another and so he's trying to one could say tear it all down which is something that the beaver frequently says he says, "If you wanna, if you wanna do something good, you need to tear down what's there and start fresh." And so, so the narrator starts to lose his identity. There's a line in here. He says, "Is Tyler my bad dream or am I Tyler's?" Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's a, a scene where Tyler Durden is is talking to the narrator, and he's basically saying. Let me handle this, which is something that, that the beaver kind of says as well. He says, I'll bring us through this. As always, I'll carry you kicking and screaming, and in the end, you'll thank me. Uh, and so, but a lot of this 
a lot of this comes out of much like with Walter White, just a a dissatisfaction with life in general, but with the life that the narrator has chosen, mm-hmm. the things that he has put value on, which is his job, his status, the clothes he wears, you know, all these things that are supposed to be important and that, you know, we're supposed to define ourselves by. He's done that and has found it lacking and has sort of, I think, punished himself as a result. I don't think he likes himself because if you like yourself, you do not create an alter ego that looks like Brad Pitt <laughs> and talks like this character. Right. Uh, and, so, and has it all figured out. Because if you thought you had it figured out, that wouldn't be a, ne- that wouldn't be a necessity. Mm-hmm. And so he's clearly unhappy with himself and right. tries this. And much like in The Beaver, it does not work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the case of both, in the case of both movies, um, they have to do something. It takes an extreme measure to, yeah. to separate themselves in fight club. He shoots himself. Now uh, he puts a gun in his mouth and he's basically going to kill himself, but the bullet actually goes like out the side of his cheek and he looks quite terrible. But Tyler Durden, the personality dies as a result because this guy was because the narrator was was willing to take such an extreme action to take his own life back and take himself back and his own sense of value and with and in the beaver i don't think we say we've said this but uh he winds up he can't take the puppet off but he does cut his arm off and so it's you know that's those are pretty extreme measures and so uh so yeah there there are a lot of similarities between the the movies but the the common you know the the theme as far as what we're talking about is just how do you deal with not liking you how do you deal with just as i said looking in the mirror and being like oh i wish this anyone else again. yeah i wish anyone else was looking back at me mm-hmm. um you know how do you deal with that uh and one and a lot of people would say, well, if you just do this, if you just had this body, you'd be happier with yourself. Mm-hmm. If you just, you know, okay, well, I'll just I the only examples I can think of are from my own life. If you just worked out more, you'd be happier with yourself. If you just saw these movies over here, then you would be more complete. If you just started learning this, learning another language, then, hey, you're not this ugly American guy and you'll be happier with yourself. Mm. If you just, you know, if you just uh, won a podcast award, <laughs> that, that last one's not real, by the way. Um, but or in, in, if we take it in the case of the films, if you just open your eyes up to the people around you, or if yeah. you just... Uh, I guess give up on it all and try to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. It would be better than what you've got going now, yeah. which is to walk around in a state of just like living death, mm-hmm. you know, and malaise. And that's, and like, and Walter, it might as well be dead because he can't, he's just sleeping all the time. But then Edward Norton, Edward Norton's character, he can't sleep. So he's walking around in a daze. Not unlike a zombie, someone who is undead. So, um, so the question, so that's the question. That's what we need to, to deal with. And it's something that I've come to realize, like I said, I've, I've put a lot of me out there on the show and a lot of you have been very patient with that and I appreciate it. 
but there have been a, a few of you who say, you know, I'm dealing with something similar and, and, uh, you know, it's that, that I think is, is the big thing is you often feel alone and just knowing that you're not alone, that there's not only people that care about you, but there's also other people. You're not the only one going through this and just knowing that you're not the lone freak in a world of 6 billion people, or is mm-hmm. it seven now? I think it's six, right? I think they said I, it's getting close to I think to there's seven. a new billion, actually. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, probably somewhere from. in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, they just popped up there all of a sudden. Yeah. It's a new landmass. It was a weird, it was like a census issue. <laughs> Apparently someone dotted an eye where they should have crossed a T about, a, about <laughs> 20 years ago, and there's actually a billion more people in the world than oh, we thought. Oh, man. Um, and you thought your menial job doesn't matter. <laughs> and so, uh, oh, that's right. Um Sorry, I've got a lot of paperwork here. I got to make sure I'm organizing it correctly. Uh, so yeah, the so trying to recognize and nothing that I that we say here is going to fix anything. I don't want to give that impression. Um, and so, if you happen to be someone Christian or otherwise who is dealing with this stuff, then there's no reason that you need to deal with it alone. And that by that I mean. You can get help from family, from friends. Like, don't be afraid to tell them what you're going through. I know you probably think that they, that you're being a burden and that you are merely, that you are only taking and not giving. Um, but I, uh, people are much more, not even forgiving. There's nothing to forgive. Like, they're your friends and family. They care about you and love you. They want to help you. That's the nature of what these th- what these relationships are, and and I know it's very counterintuitive. You don't want to burden these people, mm-hmm. but they are there to help, and so don't be afraid to let them in. Uh, if you want to go see a counselor or a psychologist, that's good too. Uh, I highly recommend that. Um, I've been going to one for a while, and it has helped uh, immensely. And I don't. I don't put this out there very much, but uh, I've said it elsewhere. Um, don't be afraid of antidepressants. Um, I was for a while. I'm on one now. And much to my own surprise, because uh, I really thought like it was going to like change my personality and make me not me, and that it, would just, it was like a false happiness. I got news for you. I'm not happy all the time. It's not a... It, 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 just, puts, it just puts me on an even keel, and it makes... It makes all the, it makes talking to friends and family and talking to counselors it makes it a little bit easier and you're a little bit more receptive to the to the love that they that they give. Mm. But the thing that I wanted to because this is a Christian show um I'll quote something out of the Beaver um and then something out of the Bible. Yes. Yes. All right. I feel like it should go that way, right? Uh, beaver before Bible. Well, I would say end on the Bible. Oh, there you like. go. Okay. So, um, so this is from uh, the speech that uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character says. Uh, she says, This is what I believe right now in this auditorium. There is someone who is with you, someone who is willing to pick you up, dust you off, kiss you, forgive you, put up with you, wait for you, carry you, love you. So while everything may not be okay, one thing I know is true. You do not have to be alone. And I like that last quote because 
it's not you aren't alone. It's that you don't have to be alone. Mm-hmm. Often, if we are alone, we that's a choice we're making yeah. because we don't want to bother other people or we feel like they won't understand or whatever. Yeah. Um, we don't realize how much the difficulty we create with ourselves, and that's whether it, you're well, that's whether you're just sad or you have a lower grade depression or you're you have serious problems with the clinical depression. I think all along the spectrum, there are, there are uh, levels at which we. Um, don't accept that that there mm. that there are people who can help us, and that uh, um, we're not totally alone in that. And in not being totally alone, uh, I'm sure everyone knew we were, we were going to turn out eventually. Um, this what I'm about to say. I'm about to read several Bible verses. Um, and I don't want it to seem like a cure-all because when I was in the when I was in the thick of it, and someone said like, "Well, here's a Bible verse," it basically bounced off me. Hmm. Um, but as I said back in my testimony episode, really, the only thing that gave me even the slightest bit of hope was the idea that God loved me, hmm. that there was a God, that there is a God, um, that he cares about me. And this is something that we talked about back in our dark night episode. And it's something that we'll talk about in the next episode, um, which, uh, we'll, we'll tell you what that is, uh, later, but, um, that there is this being that doesn't have to love you, but does. Mm-hmm. And that is something that, uh, that is amazing. And even if, even if it's hard to accept, even if it's hard to dwell on, in the midst of all the you know negative thoughts, um, try to keep that in mind. And here are some quotes. Would you like to read some? We could split it. Well, sure. All right. So uh, here is Isaiah forty-one ten. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then I will read something from Psalms, and then I'll throw this over to you, and then All you right. can read. You I'm ready? Yes. Okay. So this is Psalm 13. As far as I can tell, this is the whole of Psalm 13. So this is going to be a, a couple minutes. How long, Lord? How uh, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So here we have Psalm 25, verses 16 through 22. And then on this next page here, Matthew 5, verses 2 through 6. I knew you were going to have some psalms in here. Yeah. Um... Okay. Uh, again, this is Psalm twenty-five, sixteen through 22. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my, my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. And then again from uh, Matthew 5, 2-6. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay. So, um, so that's a lot of verses. And uh, as I, I, I'll be repeating myself from my uh, testimony episode in that... Uh, it's amazing how much the how much is in the Bible. Um, I often thought that, like, uh, well, the Bible doesn't know about modern day melancholy, right? Um, it doesn't get it. Everything's, uh, you know, sunshine, lollipop, and rainbows. And uh, but when you read stuff like this, I mean, that's real depression, real melancholy, real sadness, mm-hmm. infinite sadness. One could say, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, so, don't be afraid to turn to the Bible and turn to God because you think it has nothing to say to you and doesn't understand. It's easy to forget that uh, even back 2,000 years ago, people still dealt with the same problems of the human condition. Like, mm-hmm. we like to think that we're, you know, we're civilized now and we're beyond the problems that they had back then, but people have been people as long as there have been people, and we all we all deal with the same issues, and that's that's... You know, that's that's what it is to be a person, and and obviously uh, God knows that having created us, and Christ knows that having experienced that, and so that's you know. And actually, I mean, when you think about it, and I apologize, this might seem a little cheesy. I mean, the second the second to last thing that Christ said before he died. The last thing he said was, it is finished or it is accomplished, depending on what you want to go with. Uh, but before that was, why have you, Father, why have you forsaken me? Mm. You know, I mean, that, from Jesus, no less, mm-hmm. he felt like God didn't really have much of an interest in him at that moment. Um, <clears throat> and, like, so he literally does know that feeling of being alone, feeling so eternally alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, with these verses, I, I I picked them because I wanted to illustrate that the Bible know the the Bible and God they know what we've gone through, but there is a promise that God will always be with us, and that He loves us, and that you know the meek shall inherit the earth, and the mourning will you know those in mourning will be comforted, um, and it's just a. And I know that if you are in the throes of this, that promise might not mean much, but it's something that you can hang your hat on. And by all means, don't be afraid to ask for help from your church, from your friends, your family, from a psychiatrist. And even and even if you need to take pills, I know that there are some people who'd say that that's some sort of uh, defeat or something, but by all means, talk to your doctor and see uh, what he or she recommends. Um, there are also a couple of uh, sermons that I've put up on the website, but some of them are, are a couple of them are pretty old, so I will link to them mm-hmm. in the uh, in the post for this episode, so that you can just click uh, and go right to them from there. Um, because there's a lot of resources, Christian and otherwise, uh, to help you deal with these things. Um, speaking from my own experience, but also just in general, like you you don't have to hate yourself you don't have to be alone you're not a dead end because christ would not have died for that 
there is redemption, there is hope, there is love. And you just need to, and I say just as though it's easy, it's not. But if we, ju- we just need to try and open our eyes and see that. And once we see it, I think accepting it is easy, but we need to, we need to see it. And often that means taking off blinders and sometimes just opening our eyes. Yeah. I think uh, we, uh, we've talked already about how different, um, there's different experiences with, with depression and different levels of it. But I think at every level there is still, uh, there still needs to be an effort made on the, uh, on the part of the person experiencing Mm -hmm. it to, uh, to, to work out of it. And this is not saying that you just, you, you just have to fix it on your own mm-hmm. um, because you don't have to just fix it on your own, but it is something that you have to work on. It's not mm-hmm. something that you can just, uh, it's not something that you can put on somebody else. It's not something that you can just take a, you know, that you can just take pills and then you're done. Um, there is, there is work to be done in it. And uh, part of the, part of the problem with, another problem can arise out of depression, which is people taking it for granted that they're just a victim of this thing. And then that's just the way things are. And I I think that can drive people into further depression by, Mm -hmm. by thinking that way, or it can drive people who are just in a, in a, in a sad mood into thinking that they are dealing with clinical depression. So uh, keep in mind that you, you do have to, you, it is something that you have to work at and it is, it is, uh, there is a responsibility that you you need to take at some level and if you and even if that responsibility means talking to someone when you really don't want to and it would and you feel like it would hurt to do so yeah like it doesn't have to be like all right get out there and work in the fields or anything like it doesn't have to be that it just means like you you need to to make some kind of effort Mm -hmm. um and and even Walter cutting off his arm and the narrator shooting himself in the head. Um, like I'll, I'll focus on Walter cause I don't know. The narrator might've wanted to kill himself anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, it's of course it's, it's one, it's a quick clean cut and then uh, he's almost going to die. But like it's, it's one big thing and then it's over. And so that's a little simplistic. But when you think about it, I mean, he is willing to lose his arm. He is willing to sacrifice something of himself in order to make progress. And while we are not really required, I don't think we're required to do anything quite that dramatic. And we're not advocating that anyone do anything that dramatic. Right. The only way, yeah, the uh, pain, pain is the cleanser. And uh, the only way to uh, happiness is through self-mutilation. That's what I'm getting at. Long live the new flesh. There you go. <laughs> and so, um, so no, that's, that's, of course, not what we're saying. But that what that symbolizes is that he's will he's finally willing he, the beaver's not going to talk for him anymore he is taking action it's an extreme action mm-hmm. but he is taking the step and so yes you you do have a responsibility and it might you do need to make an effort it might seem it might seem like a small effort even if it's really hard mm-hmm it might just be talking to someone when you normally wouldn't and mm-hmm. fighting every instinct in your body which says this person's going to hate me when I say this stuff. This person is going to roll their eyes. This person's going to say this. They're going to say that. Fighting against that can be like the hardest thing in the world to do. And 
from the outside, it may look like a very small thing, which mm-hmm. is just saying something to someone. But, you know, it's just, it really is just a series of small steps, I mm-hmm. think. But they are steps that, that, you know, you need to take. Uh, and once you, once you do that, I think from a Christian standpoint, I think you will realize, you know, the steps that God has taken uh, through Christ to reconcile with you and to give you that hope. Um, so anyway, uh, I apologize that this, uh, last section has been very self-helpy, but you know, this, the, you know, you run across these days, especially, uh, people who deal with depression and they, you know, they medicate maybe a little too quickly, but I don't want to put that out there because it implies a certain degree of judgment. And if you talk to your doctor and they were, and they recommend this, and you talk to your psychologist or your psychiatrist and they recommend this then then by all means do it so i don't want to i don't want to add to the stigma of oh i don't want to be uh, i don't want to be running to this too quickly i, I don't i don't want to add to that but um but yeah like so many people describe themselves as depressed and directionless and they don't like themselves they want to mm-hmm. be somebody else um and so I guess that's that's where the film had resonance with me, even if it's not a perfect film. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the other thing I do want to mention real quick before we end. Um, I'm not giving the film a pass. I'm not saying it's a great film because it happens to deal with some themes that I appreciate. Right. It's not a great film. If I had to give it a star rating, I'd probably give it a, a generous three stars out of four. And that's being generous, mm-hmm. I think. Um so I don't want to, for all the talk that we've been giving about like, oh, Christian movies, they deal with these issues and they're, but they're bad movies, but people still say they're good just because they deal with the issues. I don't want to be that, you know, what's, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, Josh. And the gander here is the beaver. And so, um, oh, those, those metaphors got so mixed up. I think someone was strangled. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, uh, but I do recommend uh, watching it. It's 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 pretty good. It's watchable. It's just not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, yeah, and while, while there may be a lot of flaws about it, like we said, there there there's a good message to be called out of it if you're willing mm-hmm. to suspend a little more disbelief than usual, maybe, and right. uh, put up with some problems. Absolutely. So um, okay, the next episode is going to be about Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. Uh, which is a film that's been out for a while, and a lot of people have said, when are you going to do an episode about that? Uh, And I wanted to... uh, Well, first off, I didn't get to see it in the theater, which which bothered me. And... uh, But also, it's a film that I sort of needed to digest a little bit, and also the the impetus for it came about uh, from various Christian people I know uh, sort of demanding that the film be something that it isn't Hmm. it still is quite a bit but because it's not this specific thing uh a lot of a lot of christians that i know uh are upset with it and so we're going to talk about it from that standpoint and try to figure out exactly what it is trying to do Mm -hmm. so that will be next episode which will go up in maybe a week and a half to two weeks so uh josh as always thanks for being here i'm glad to be here Uh, all right well that's good um (laughs) i guess that's better than you simply saying like you're welcome (laughs) so um 
and uh, and I already told everybody uh, at the top of the show uh, where they could follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, but you can also email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson dot com, Josh at morethanonelesson dot com, if you have uh, anything that you want to say to us. Um, and as I said, there will be uh, links to uh, sermon relevant sermons um, on the post for this episode on the website. So you can, uh, you know, I, I want to try to provide you with some resources if you're dealing with some of the stuff that we've talked about in this episode. Uh, so thanks everybody for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.